Welcome to another episode of the CC Podcast Conversations, where inspiring Christians share their faith-filled stories. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. This helps push our content to a broader audience. Are you new to listening? Check out our other podcasts. First, the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotions, where we're walking through the Bible, focusing on short clips of Scripture. Second is the CC Broadcast, where our weekly radio programming is archived. These podcasts are available wherever you're listening or at christiancrusaders.org. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. Here's our host, Matt Reister, the Executive Director of Christian Crusaders. Hey, everybody. Matt Reister here with the CC Podcast Conversations. Got Andrew Nordstrom with me, and today we're going to hear an interview with Dr. Derek Thomas. Andrew, how are you doing today? Doing great, Matt. Thanks. So you listened to the interview. I, I did the interview. You've been to Wales before, I think. I have. Wales is beautiful. Yeah, I, anybody out there, I recommend going. Um, it's, it's gorgeous. Half the town names you can't pronounce. Uh, there's a town name that's like 58 letters long. You talk, What do people need to Google if they're interested in that? long town name Wales and <laughs> and it pops up and there you could actually hit a button to to make, to make it pronounce it for you. So the reason we're talking about Wales is cuz Dr. Derek Thomas is from Wales. Uh impressions on that interview. Yeah, it, it, he was he was really interesting. Um just the 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 depth of his faith and and kind of hearing um how he came to be where he is now. Um I love the part of of when he describes uh, coming from Wales and and you know feeling the Lord calling him uh, to to an education in Mississippi, mm-hmm. um, it's going from Wales to Mississippi is it's a disconnect uh, <laughs> in, in my mind. There's, um, but you know the even though you know the UK has has so many institutions of higher learning, um, I can I can understand though that that the United States probably has some some really great religious education and and maybe he was you know. He was seeking that out, and it was cool to hear him kind of uh, his process and go into that. Yeah, that's great. So uh, Dr. Thomas is one of my theological heroes. As we talked about off the recording, there's no question he's an academic. He comes across as such. Yeah. I think he told us in the interview that he's not into sports. He only watches one movie a year, and he's (laughs) reading third century B.C. Persian literature or something like that. Persian Empire, right? History of, yeah. Sounds exciting. But uh, (laughs) but he is a fellow, a teaching fellow with Ligonier Ministries. Ligonier Ministries, of course, was R.C. Sproul's ministry. And so he and others are carrying on the legacy of that ministry. They do a great job on social media. You can follow them on Instagram. And they'll have minute or two or three minute video snippets covering different theological issues of the day and of course coming at them from a very uh, biblically grounded perspective and i appreciate that about him yeah and and i appreciate too the fact that um you have somebody who's who's in you know he is an academic and he is uh, you know in, in a position to to teach and train up the the next generation in a lot of ways and I appreciate the, the the depth of his faith, um, and and the way he comes about um, merging that with with his academic mind and background, uh, and the way that that he then I'm sure teaches the next generation. Uh, that's just really encouraging, and I think that it would be really interesting to to be in on one of his classes, be a student in his uh, under his training. Uh, that'd be that'd be I think really interesting to me. Totally. At the Bible conference, he did three messages on different books or different chapters of the book of Psalms, which were really interesting. Folks, if they're interested, could go to 
the Cedar Falls Bible Conference YouTube page and see those. Uh, they might be archived, archived at the webpage, cedarfallsbibleconference.com as well. So I'd say let's listen to Dr. Derek Thomas. Enjoy the interview, and thanks for tuning in. All right, I'm at the 100th Cedar Falls Bible Conference with Dr. Derek Thomas. Derek, thanks for accepting our invitation to being here. Uh, thank you. It's an honor to be uh, here, uh, but especially for this 100th um, anniversary. Yes. You've been here a handful of times. We don't know exactly how many. We're going to eventually go back and archive it and find out. But uh, do you notice any difference, or you just go around and speak so much? We've got a new floor here, and it's not as stinky. It's a little brighter in here. We're in the process of trying to revitalize this ministry, make it year-round, and make it a place that uh, isn't as painful to come to for our visitors. <laughs> I, um, I told my wife, I don't think this place has AC. But... <laughs> <laughs> But it does. <laughs> it does have AC, finally. Um, so I want to hear a little bit of your story. I don't know a lot of your background, like how you came to, you're not born in the States, right? And how'd you get over here and, and ministry background and all that? So I was born in Wales, uh, in Great Britain, uh, in 1953, and um, was raised in a secular home. Uh, I... I don't have any memory of attending church wow. much as a, as a child. Um, but when I was 18, I uh, went to university uh, to study math, and my best friend in high school gave me a copy of John Stott's uh, Basic Christianity, and I read it uh, over the Christmas break, and within a few days, you know, I'm on my knees asking the Lord to save me. I, I knew absolutely nothing. This is high school? This is college. College, yeah. And then I went back to college for the spring semester and uh, joined uh, the Christian Union, uh, InterVarsity Fellowship Christian Union, and, and they were, uh, you know, strongly biblical, evangelical, uh, loved to study doctrine, and there were weekly meetings and prayer meetings, and I quickly rose to become the president of it wow. uh, in a couple of years. And then on gradu graduating from uh, university, I felt a call to the ministry, so I went straight to seminary and, and came to Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi uh, in 1976. Uh, I'd married Rosemary. We, we had been married maybe two weeks when we... Where is she from? Belfast in Northern Ireland, but she was also a math major. She was in my class. So you, what school were you at? College? University of Wales in Aberystwyth. And so you met your wife at college? Yes. Okay. And she was a believer? Yes. Yeah. She, I mean, I can give you a date and a time, but she doesn't remember a day when she didn't believe. Yeah. You know, so, I'm kind of like that. Right. Yeah. And uh, we got married, and two weeks later we emigrated to Jackson, Mississippi. I, I remember landing... Uh, in the airport, Wales to uh, Jackson, uh, Mississippi. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's August the nineteenth, and it's eleven o'clock at night, and we're waiting for the bags to come. Uh, and I said to her, you know, it's hot in here. And and then we walked outside, <laughs> and uh, there was a wall of sound coming from some kind of insect. And I said, what is that sound? And I I thought he said quesadillas. <laughs> <laughs> Cicadas. Yeah. 
so we, I graduated in 78 uh, with an MDiv and, and came back to Britain, was called to a church in Belfast. I uh, was there for 17 years. Uh, in the meantime, I, I had begun work on a PhD and uh, that, uh, that got me back to Jackson, Mississippi to teach at RTS. Uh, and I taught there for 16 years, but I was also the senior minister, uh, the, the evening preacher at First Pres Jackson. And then in 2011, 10 years ago, I, I reversed that and uh, I went as the evening preacher of First Pres Columbia, South Carolina, where Sinclair Ferguson was the, was the senior preacher. Yeah. But he retired uh, two years later and then I became the senior minister and I still teach part-time for RTS but these days in the Charlotte campus which is an hour away from where we are and I'm also a teaching fellow with Ligonier Ministries. Yeah when you say evening preacher people might know what that not know what that is what's it well large churches often have a different preacher in the evening like Sunday night yeah yep um because congregations like to hear two different voices uh, and, and if you're in a large church you've probably got several services in the morning and so it's, it's, it's a little hard to do all of it uh, so uh, First Prayers Jackson and First Prayers um, Columbia uh, have had seasons where they had a different preacher in the, on Sunday evening yeah cool um, so Ligonier, I, I was first exposed to you here at the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, having been born and raised. You remember Bruce Nelson, who was the director, and he kind of tapped me to follow him when, the, when it was time for that. Um, but then when I saw you connected to Ligonier, um, I, I, they do a great job of promoting stuff online. I talked about their Instagram page, has clips of RC from way back in the day. You're on there once in a while. Um, I, I haven't seen the exact question and answer session from a, a Ligonier conference about seven years ago with you and RC and Vody Bauckham and I think Al Moeller. Um, it's one of my favorite. You guys deal with a bunch of great issues. RC Sproul is is one of my uh, spiritual and theological heroes. You obviously worked with him pretty closely. Tell us a little something about RC. Well, I knew of RC, of course, back in the seventies uh, when his ministry at Ligonier, Pennsylvania, began, uh, and. It, it was modeled, I think, a little bit after Francis Schaeffer. And then R.C. taught systematic theology at, at Reformed Theological Seminary, the job that I eventually took over. Mm -hmm. uh, so his name was familiar to me. But when I, when I returned to the States in 1996, uh, he called me one day out of the blue uh, and said, um, Somebody, somebody was due to speak and, and they were ill and couldn't speak and could I come to the Ligonier conference like like next week uh, and speak and I said sure I said and I I had lunch no I had dinner with him and Bester his wife and you know he's a, he's he's like a figure that's way above me I mean he's <laughs> like a star uh, but I mean he was so personable uh, so interested in me and, and we both love dogs so that I think that was oh, part, wow. part of the attraction and so I, I think I've spoken at the Ligonier conference every year for the last tw 20 years but, but before he died uh, and, and his health declined considerably in, in the last uh, 7 or 8 years of his life 
before he died, uh, he had a like a succession plan. I mean, there's no there's no replacement for RC. Right, he's, he's one of a kind. But his plan was to have uh, six or seven um, teaching fellows, uh, and and he asked me to be one of them, and I was amazed. I I still don't know why, but um, <laughs> but it's been. I mean, it was one of the greatest uh, compliments that, that That's awesome. I've received in life. What what exactly is your role as a teaching fellow with Ligonier? Well, I speak at the conference every year. I, I'm expected to do uh, other regional conferences. I'm expected to write some for them. Um, I'm there as a as a resource uh, if if they needed theological input on a particular topic. Um, so, do you wear basically three hats: hmm. pastor, ligonier, and then RTS? Professor, is that about right? About I mean, right. in addition to wife, or husband and yeah. cook, and yeah. you said you discovered cooking. Yeah, yeah. I, I, just, I, I, just I can identify with you pre sixty, which is I don't know, I don't know my way around the kitchen. <laughs> you know, I often used to think, and this is kind of morbid, but if if my wife were to pass and I was left alone, I, I would be thoroughly miserable, I'm sure. But but um, and and this last week was our forty fifth wedding anniversary. Wow. But I often used to think, if that happened, how am I going to feed myself? Because <laughs> I, I don't cook. I mean, I don't, I, I don't even have the most basic knowledge of cooking. <laughs> so over the last six or seven years, I've, I've been on a journey to learn at least how to do the most basic things. Uh, but but, but I, I like to experiment a little That's bit. That's great. And your wife is a baseball fan. She uh, is. How did that happen? I, I assumed you married an American who was already a baseball fan, but she came from Wales as well? She came from Ireland. Ireland? Well, she was in Wales at college with me. But so, And she's a baseball fan. You're not really. I could live in a world without sport. But, <laughs> but you may want to delete that from the podcast. But, <laughs> but when we came, I was finishing off my PhD, so I was in the library a lot late at night and we had a 17 year old son mm -hmm. and uh, or maybe a 16 year old son and um, you know he, his sister was, was at med school back in Belfast too, too complicated a story now but but you know what do you do with, with a 16 year old boy I mean it's, it's sport and, and the Braves had just won the World Series the year before mm -hmm. and uh, World Series was about to, to start, and so she went to she went to Books a Million and bought a book on the rules of baseball. Wow! So they watched it on TV, uh, and the, and even though we were six hours away, the Braves were the local team, right? So she and and you know she's a mathematician like I was, and so the whole stats thing, with, yeah, with baseball, she she kind of. That, that appealed to her and to this day uh, when the Braves are playing she and my son will be texting back and forth about something or another <laughs> and I, I quite like the ambience of baseball yeah I mean who doesn't like hot dog you know expensive hot dogs yeah and, and so on but um, and I, I don't mind watching it for 15 or 20 minutes yeah. but, but the thought of watching it for like 4 hours think, oh. my son and I are big baseball fans we travel around and watch the Yankees play and my wife thinks it's absolutely ridiculous uh, there was an article that came out one day 
where a guy actually went to the ballpark and with a stopwatch measured the amount of time that the ball was in play. So that goes from like the pitcher to the catcher every single pitch, every time it's hit until it gets back. And it was literally like two minutes and 12 seconds or something like that for, for a three-hour game. And she's like, this is the worst game of all time. Uh, question for you about um, just backing up on your timeline. When you all moved to the States like permanently, like how'd that go with your families? Was your wife a believer before like she grew up in a Christian home? Yes. And so um, it was an incredibly difficult decision to make because my daughter was 17 mm-hmm. and she never came with us. And, and when I tell this story, it sounds bad. It just sounds really bad. She was in uh, she was boarding in an all-girls boarding school. So, mm-hmm. so Monday through Friday, she was at school in a, in a boarding school. And then at weekends, she went to her grandparents, my, mm-hmm. my in-laws, and lived with them at the weekend. And then she came to us at Christmas, and she came to us at Easter, and she spent the summer with us. And, and then she went to medical school and, and, and so on. But so she's still over there? She is. She is married uh, to, they're both doctors, they're married, they live in Glasgow, and mm-hmm. they have two children, 15 and 12. Mm-hmm. So when you say it sounds bad, why, why do you feel, feel like it sounds bad? Well, I mean, imagine being at the airport, you're, you're emigrating to the States for who knows how long, yeah. and you're saying goodbye to your daughter, who you may not see for months. Right. Uh, and... and we had a meeting in the house one evening that, that there'd been a, about a six-month appeal for me to come and take this job, and I'd said no like a dozen times, and then really felt that maybe the answer was yes. Mm-hmm. And I said to the family, look, the family meeting tonight after dinner yep. in, in the dining room, and I said, uh, we're going to talk about this, and if anybody says no, we're not going. Wow. And no, no guilt, no... Stress, Consensus. Right? So... Uh, we began the meeting. I explained the situation, and my my seventeen year old daughter said, "I need a car." Very practical. So, hey, she was all in. Because, wow. Because if if we were going to leave her behind, she needed a car. Wow, that's pretty impressive. So she had she had thought about it all afternoon, and she thought, "Yeah, car, definitely better than parents." <laughs> <laughs> How often do you see her now? Uh, do you well, go back over there much, or do they come al- here? or Almost every day on FaceTime. But of course. We actually haven't seen them in over two years because of COVID. Oh, of course. Uh, we're trying to go in September, but there are so many hoops to get through, uh, and partly because the rules in Wales, Scotland, and England are all different. Yeah. And they're way more locked down. Uh, than, than here. Than here. Our, our technical director for the Christian Crusaders in this podcast Andrew is dating a girl who lives in Birmingham, England, and he's, I mean, he just finally was able to go visit her, and uh, I mean, all kinds of hoops, like you said. You, you made kind of a joke, but you're kind of serious uh, about PPP, Pilgrim's Progress Passport, and that's a nice dovetail into this uh, regulations with COVID. If, if you had, uh, were on a desert island and could choose one book in addition to the Bible, you said you'd choose Pilgrim's Progress. If people aren't familiar with that book, uh, tell them a little bit about it and why you love it so much. Well, this is a book that Bunyan wrote 
uh, John Bunyan. John Bunyan in the 1600s. He was imprisoned uh, in the 1660s when Charles II uh, became king, and, and there was an anti-Puritan period uh, in the early 1660s, and, and he fell foul of that, and uh, he was uh, sent to prison. It's an allegory. Uh, of uh, a Christian and his friends, uh, hopeful and eventually faithful. That's their names, Christian, yeah. hopeful, and faithful. Yeah. And there are probably 200 characters in Pilgrim's Progress Part 1. There's also a Part 2 uh, of Christiana, his wife, and the four children, and they make the same journey through the same locations. I haven't seen that one. And uh, it, it's, ac- it's actually an, a, a better story than than part one, in, in my opinion. Um, there was a time when, prior to, say, the beginning of the 20th century, it was the most, uh, it, it was the most sold book other than the Bible. Wow. Uh, and, of course, that, that's no longer true. But, but, I mean, there was a time when every Christian home or almost every Christian home, say, mm-hmm. in the 1700s, 1800s, would have had a copy of Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. It, it's a story. Uh, it's, it's a bit like Lord of the Rings. I mean, it's a fantastical s- story. But it's a story that teaches a lot of good, sound theology. Yeah. Uh, and that's what Bunyan was trying to do. Yeah. Um, have you seen the most recent movie? Maybe it's 10 or 15 or 20 years old. Uh, the, uh, there was one that came out just a couple of years ago. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Uh, it's it's a, I was going to say a cartoon, but that's not, that's not the right term. Animated? It's animated. Yeah. And um, But I actually haven't seen it. No. And my kids watched the second to the oldest one, I guess it is, if this new one is out over and over. And we've read the book and uh, just powerful, powerful stuff. I'm a little bit ADD in my brain, so i got to go back. We're talking about movies now. And you and your wife being mathematicians, and not a huge baseball fan, but your wife is. Have you seen the movie Moneyball? You know, I see, I see one movie a year. Okay, I'm not the guy <laughs> to ask about movies. Your, does your wife see movies at all? No. So there, I, I'm going to give you a recommendation. Maybe this is your movie okay. for the year. I think your wife would enjoy it. Um, Moneyball. There was a, a general manager for the Oakland A's who back in the early 2000s reinvented baseball um, by really looking at analytics, you know, the, like the math side of baseball. And uh, so he hired this little dweeby computer guy to crunch these numbers, and instead of spending tons of money about on all these highly touted players that were flashy, he just looked at the numbers, and they could buy a bunch of players for way cheaper that were under the radar because the numbers showed them they were going to be good rather than kind of the hype and the flash. I've got a 75-year-old mother-in-law who would probably be more like you, like if there was no sports in the world, I wouldn't care. She called me one day. She's like, Matt, I just watched this movie called Moneyball. Have you seen it? I said, you watch Moneyball? And so I figured if that appealed to my mother-in-law, uh, it might be a movie that would be interesting for someone who's I, a... I'll take note of it. Yeah. Now, I need to be careful. I, don't, it's, I stay away from rated R movies that have uh, nudity in them and I know there's none of that but I can't endorse everything else in, in that movie so I, I can't remember what was in it uh, back on on uh, more of a theological bent one of those 
Q&A sessions at the Ligonier Conference, there was a great conversation that you had with some of the other guys about the wrath of God. They were kind of mocking how you say wrath, the wrath. of. You remember that one? And uh, I, I heard a message. It was a year ago this Easter, so a year and a half ago, whatever it is, that has troubled me ever since. And I think it's fairly common where the preacher was basically saying, it's Easter, Christ is risen, God is a God of grace and compassion. He is not a God of wrath. And so we need to let go of this image of God being wrathful and vindictive. And we need to embrace this God of compassion and grace. And uh, obviously you would have major theological problems with that. Talk to us about the importance of the wrath of God being part of our understanding of his character. And uh... Right. I mean, you have, to, you have to begin with a biblical view of God. Uh, and God is holy. Uh, that means he cannot uh, he cannot condone uh, wickedness. Uh, that that evil has to be punished. Uh, the cross makes no sense uh, yeah. apart from that. Uh, at the very center of the cross is the wrath of God. Uh, that God's wrath came down upon His Son, and His Son was anathematized, uh, forsaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who, that's in the New Testament. That's in the New Testament. Uh, and the book of Revelation is full of depictions of the wrath of God. So, so the only way that you can say, you know, stupid things like, like the caricature that you just made is, is that you invent a God of your own imagination. It's, yeah. not, it's not the God of the Bible anymore. It's, it's your personal idol that you worship. And uh, to say that there is no wrath in God uh, means, you know, is, is there no hell? Is it empty? Yeah. Uh, is, is God not wrathful towards Satan? Um, you know, it's it's so it's so blatantly everywhere yeah. uh, in the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, and no one no one depicts that more uh, more vividly than Jesus himself. What do you attribute, uh, I'm thinking of a denominational leader that I heard of in the last couple of years, one of the mainline denominations here in America, who said that there's probably not a hell, and if there is, it's empty. So, I mean, that's what you were just asking. How, how did we go, and this is a denomination that decades ago would have been relatively faithful to the scriptures. I mean, way more than that. How do you, how do you explain the drift that we're seeing in denominations, churches, seminaries toward this God made in our own image rather than the Bible's depiction of him? You know, I mean, the sociodynamics of how that happens uh, is, is probably difficult to, to narrate. I think it begins by uh, uh, an attempt on the part of the church to accommodate themselves to the culture so that they're not seen and perceived by the culture to be to be irrelevant mm-hmm. and, and so that comes usually in small little incremental yep. uh, accommodations to the culture uh, and and all of a sudden you're not being guided by the principle that the Bible is the infallible inerrant word of God um, but 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 somewhere within scripture there is truth but scripture itself is not truth yeah and and, and Drip, 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 yep. you know, 
10, 15, 20, 30 years, a generation later, yep. you're in a different universe. What I say to people about this Bible conference that I'm, I'm given charge of and responsibility for right now is what makes me so nervous. We're really excited about how we're drawn in more people. Our kids' ministry program this week was through the roof. We've got more young couples and young families taking work off to come be here for the week to hear good, solid preaching. You look over at the, we put a nice restroom over there, a concession stand. You mentioned we have air conditioning. We got a new floor. We've got a sound guy that actually knows what he's doing. We've got a worship band that is is great. And I love all that. And, and paint schemes for the walls. And I mean, so there are people who are helping, because I, I don't care that much about some of that stuff, but there are people who want to help us kind of stay updated and, and look nice and present well. And I'm not against any of that. But what scares me, what I feel is my number one calling is to make sure that as we try to do some of those things that make sense and are modest um, but are superficial, that we don't somehow, you know, that same desire to be quote-unquote attractive Mm -hmm. to a community, if that seeps into how we present the Word of God, then you start watering this down. You start not talking about the wrath of God. You start not talking about hell. You start not talking about the exclusivity of Christ. Um, what would be your wisdom or advice to me or to any church leader or anyone? I mean, aren't we all kind of trying to walk that dynamic and, and not fall in the ditch? And it's important for this conference and, and you know, hundreds of other conferences like it uh, to, to be faithful to the Word of God, uh, to, to ask uh, teachers, preachers to come who adhere to the inerrancy of scripture mm-hmm. and, and I think apart from that it, it, it inevitably goes downhill mm-hmm. so has the church always been and I don't even know what I mean like if I mean big C church or little C church because the church is faithful right the big C church the, the universal church the little C church have churches always been plagued by this kind of stuff we're talking about is it worse than it has been? It seems like it to me, in America at least. Um, what would be your read on the condition of the church relative to the condition of the church in the past? I, I do think that there is um, a temptation in our culture to accommodate uh, to the narrative that if you don't accommodate, you are culturally irrelevant. And I think that in order to be relevant uh, in very difficult um, conversations about gender or sexuality, uh, to name to name a couple, uh, I mean, those are areas where the culture has completely capitulated. Yeah. And so there's nothing for it but that the church, if it's going to be faithful to Scripture, you know, is probably facing persecution. Yeah. And, and, and that narrative is, is not new. I mean, that narrative is in the pages of the New Testament itself. I mean, in the, yep. in, just in, in, the, um, in the letters uh, that Paul writes, he is facing uh, cultural accommodation on the part of churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, you read the seven letters of Revelation 2 and 3. Yep. And all but one of them are, are, are compromising compromising theologically they're compromising morally uh, so, so there's nothing new under the sun I mean we, we you know 
I think sometimes I read the headlines of the news and I think, can it get any worse? And the answer is yes, it can get a whole lot worse. Yeah, and it has been worse, of right? Course. Of course. A lot worse. I've spent the summer reading the history of 4th century BC uh, Persia. Uh, it was a project I had, so I've read three or four fairly intense books on the history of Persia. And, uh, oh my goodness, uh, yes, it can, get a, it, it can get a whole lot worse. Yeah. Um, Old Testament, this, we'll wrap up with this. Um, this podcast, we've been doing a daily dose devotion. We've been doing a Bible overview, and I'm doing about uh, 90% of those each day. And we started at Genesis 1. We're just getting ready to cross over into the New Testament. We're uh, at the end of Zechariah, and sadly... I mean, I've got a seminary degree and I've been in ministry for a while. I've spent very little time in the minor prophets and uh, they've been such a blessing to me, but not just them, but the Old Testament in general. Uh, we had some unauthorized guy out here handing out Bibles one of these days. It was some modern version. I don't know if it's good or bad and, and I need to find out who that was and clean that up if I need to. But um, it was a New Testament only. And I, I more than ever, coming off 450 Bible overview episodes in the Old Testament and seeing the richness in the Old Testament, seeing the gospel in the Old Testament, uh, seeing God's wrath juxtapose God's compa- against God's compassion and mercy. Um, what would you say to Christians, um, you know, by way of just exhorting them to, I mean, both, both sides of the Bible are inspired by well, God and I, useful. As you were saying that, I was, I was thinking of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and, and the computer who's been churning away for four million years or something, and, yeah. and he pops out the answer is 43. <laughs> uh, but the, the thing is, when he was questioned as, as to whether this was the right answer, he says, actually, the problem is we don't know what the question is. Mm. Well, if the New Testament is the answer, the Old Testament is the question. Yeah. Uh, so the New Testament answers the questions that are that arise in the narrative of creation and fall uh, in the Old Testament. But without the Old Testament, you've you've got answers. But what is the question? Answers to what? Yeah. So, so uh, I, I think that the Bible is meant to be written as. I mean, I love Mark Dever's two little books. Uh, promises made being the Old Testament and promises kept yeah. being the New Testament. Um, it's like having half a sword. Yeah. Great. Dr. Derek Thomas, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for accepting our invitation. It's an honor for me to sit down across from you and talk for a little bit and God's blessings on your ministry going forward. Thank you so much. All right. The CC Podcast is part of Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministry, started in 1936 and is one of America's longest-running radio ministries. We are 100% donor-funded, and donations to our ministry are 100% tax-deductible. So if you are encouraged, challenged, or inspired by today's conversation, please consider making a donation on our website, christiancrusaders.org, or mail a check to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. In addition to our other podcasts, which I mentioned at the front of this episode, I want to mention two of our other ministry partners worth checking out. First, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, equipping believers with the truth of God's Word since 1922. Visit cedarfallsbibleconference.com for free access to previous conference content or for more information about upcoming events. 
second is Power to Change Digital Strategies, an online ministry partnering volunteer Christian mentors with people around the world searching the internet for answers. If you or someone you know could benefit from an anonymous online conversation with a caring Christian adult, go to issuesiface.com. Or if you would like to be a volunteer Christian mentor, please visit p2cdigital.com. That's the letter P, the number two, and the letter C, digital.com. See our episode notes for details and links. And remember to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. God's richest blessings to you. And thanks again for listening.